This is Daryl Wood, host of Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show on Faith Talk 1500. First, let me say this show is your show. That's why no matter what I discuss or which guests I interview, your input is valued. If it's in the news, on TV, or at the movies, whether political, social, economic, or whatever, at some point I'm talking about it on Run to Win, the Daryl Wood Show, Monday through Thursday from 4 to 6 p.m. on Faith Talk 1500. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real Life Christian Church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. We're going to look at Psalm 38, and let's begin in verse 1. David writes, inspired by the Spirit, O Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows, I like that, it pierced me, and your hand has come down upon me. Because of you, wrath is, because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome. Because of my sinful folly, I'm bowed down. I'm brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There's no health in my body. I'm feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. Man, that's fun. <laughs> Doesn't that lift you up? Isn't that full of joy? Man, let's go have a party, huh? But that's real. That, that's where David was. Sometimes David hammed it up a little bit. But I got to tell you, this guy laid it on the table before God. He was very transparent before God. And that's what I like about these psalms, their prayers. And sometimes, folks, we need to be transparent before God. He sees your heart. But man, does God love it when you tell him your heart. And that's what David's doing here. He's telling God his heart. He's king of Israel. Very successful David. I mean, he defeated Goliath, okay? He, he finally drove the, uh, the Philistines, the, the perennial enemy of the Jews, out of the land of Israel. Did a lot of great stuff. And David the king is sick physically. There's no soundness in my flesh, he says. There's no health in my bones. My wounds grow foul and fester. Now, on top of that, you go to verse 12. I mean, that's not all that's going on in David's life. He says, verse 12, those who seek my life set their traps. So people are setting traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. They're talking about my ruin behind their back. Ha, ha, ha. All, all day long, they plot deception. I mean, you look at David, man, you don't have troubles. His body's falling apart. His kingdom's falling apart. I mean, I read this psalm and I come out, God, I don't have anything going on in my life, not compared to this guy. I mean, it was king of the hill. Someone's always trying to knock off the guy at the top. Yeah, I mean, you read the psalms that God inspired David to write. People are forever talking about him, plotting, lying, accusing. And the guy who was at, or the guy who was masterminding this plot to wrest the kingdom from David in this hurt was none other than his son, Absalom. See, while David was in his palace doing what kings do, Absalom would stand at the gate of his father's court. And folks, he did this for four years. David's own son. I'm looking at 2 Samuel chapter 15. This is verse 2. Speaking of Absalom, 2 Samuel 15 verse 2. It says, he, Absalom, would get up early, stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. 
And whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, not necessarily a complaint, but maybe a case, something legal, okay? And he had the right of decision. So they come to place this before the king, and Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? And he would answer, I'm from one of the, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. What's he saying? It's going to take, it's going to take you a year to get this whole thing resolved. Now look at verse 4. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge, see that? If only I were appointed judge in the land, see? Then everyone who had a complaint or a case could come to me, and I would expedite that justice, man. I would see that you're not standing in line forever to get justice. I would expedite this whole deal. Now look at verse 5. Oh, this is good. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him. See, he was the king's son. People go up to Absalom and say, oh, king's son, I bow before you. This is Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. You know, he, the guy's going to bow before him because he's the king's son. He says, oh, don't bow before me. I mean, this is political, man. Gives him a great big hug and says, I'm just a common Joe just like you, man. I'm just like you guys. Verse 12, second half. And so the conspiracy gained strength. And Absalom, following Absalom's following kept on increasing. Verse 13, a messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we got to get out of here, let's flee, or, or none of us will escape from Absalom. And so the kingdom is coming apart. I call this message thoughts on Psalm 38. And there's some pretty good thoughts here because David's kingdom was coming apart at the hands of his own son. His body was falling apart physically. Now, it's very easy to say, my life is falling apart. Where is God in this whole thing? And you feel like God is off somewhere else. And he's very uninvolved in your life. Now, see, David speaks to that very thing, or the Spirit of God speaks through David to that very thing in Psalm 38. Because David says, I mean, look at Psalm 38, verse 2. What does it say? I got this circled. Your arrows have pierced me. This is from God. Your hand has come down on me. Because of your wrath, there's no health in my bones, and so on and so forth. I mean, David says this is not happening apart from God. You know what he's saying? There is reason and purpose to what's happening in my life because God's involved. And that's the point that you have to know. And see, David would not let his feelings dictate and that's really the major point here. Don't trust your feelings because your feelings will tell you, well, you got to go through this whole deal alone and God doesn't really care. And a lot of that's the devil or demons. All I'm saying is don't go there. Don't, you know, don't think like that. I mean, David writes in verse 38 to Psalm 38 verse 2, it's your arrows that have pierced me. I mean, God, this is all happening because you're trying to, I don't know what it is, but you're trying to accomplish something in me, see? So you, you, you feel that God's distant, that God doesn't care, God's not part of this. But um, look at Psalm 139. You don't go with what you feel. You go with, it with the truth of God's word. This is so important. Don't go with what you feel. You want to tell yourself. The devil wants you to say this to yourself. You know, God's not part of this. Look at 17 of Psalm 139. How precious to me are your thoughts, meaning to me, O God. How vast is the sum of those thoughts. 
were I to count them, now see, this is truth, they would outnumber the grains of sand. How many grains of sand are on the sea? David's using a metaphor here to say, God is thinking about you 24-7. God's mind and heart is always on you. God is a very personal God. Listen, you can't hide from God. Look at verse 7. I mean, I, look, look what David said. This is God. I didn't write this. Verse 7, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I could do that, if I make my bed in the depths of the earth, if I could do that, you're there. In verse 9, it says, if I could grow wings and fly away, he says, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the, if I could fly to the far side of the sea, your right hand will hold me fast. David saying, you are always there. I can never get away from you in Psalm 139. So whatever you're going through, folks, you may feel you're alone, but go to the truth. He's there. Next time you feel like God's somewhere else, just say to yourself, I'm on a pity party. Just say, I enjoy feeling sorry for myself, but my feelings are not reality because, because God's right there. He is right there with me. And then I go, don't look this up, but Hebrews 13, 5, it says, I will never leave you or desert you. Never, ever. That's a promise of God, see? That is a certain promise of God. I will never leave you or desert you. And this God who has perfect love for you, I think about this. I, you know, I'm going through something. I think he's got perfect love. He has all power. He has all wisdom, and all this is working together for his glory and my good. He's there. That's the truth. Here's something else. David sees this overload of problems as a result of his own sin, and this is kind of important. Well, it's all important. This is God's word. But in verse 3, he says, because of your wrath, there's no health in my body. My bones have no soundness. Now look at it. Because of my sin. Now that's, that's interesting. Or verse 5, my wounds fester, they're loathsome because of, see that, my sinful folly. What wasn't David doing? Inspired by God. He wasn't blaming anybody, see? He wasn't blaming anybody. He's not a victim. He's saying, I'm in this mess because of my own foolishness. Folks, this is a discipline, you might say. We have to train ourselves to this. When you're so ready to say, well, I'm preaching back at myself because when you're so ready to say the problem is with them, then you've got to back off and rethink it. You've got to take a couple of steps backward. This should be automatic. And ask God to show you where you've been foolish. I can honestly say each time I do that, see, when I want to, when I want to justify myself, See, I can twist all the circumstances, so can you, to make anything I do, anything I say, seem right in my own mind. I can justify myself. And we want to blame other people, but I can honestly say each time I take a step back, I'm right and so-and-so is wrong. You know what I see? Just about every time, I'm wrong. Either I am the one fully to blame or at least partially to blame. I'm part of this problem, and it's not only their fault. See, that's what I discovered. Well, you just commit to that right now. Would you, right now would be a great time to take a situation where you're saying, this is my fault, this is somebody else's fault, and I will learn to forgive them, and I will learn to treat them godly. That's so godly. Tell you what's more godly. Take a step back and look at this thing from the outside in, and look at yourself and say, right there, I am the problem, or at least, at the very least, I am part of the problem. I don't think there's many honest, pure victims. I just, you're always, we're always part of the problem. Got to think like that. Okay, thoughts. David says, I'm sick because of my own sin, in verses 3 and 5 of Psalm 38. 
And you may think, well, well, okay, sickness is God's, God getting us, God, God just getting me, so I'm sick. This is God getting me. Listen, get that out of your mind. Sickness is not God getting you. As a matter of fact, I, so I think a lot of sickness comes into our life where God knows it's going to happen. He sees it and he allows it. And he says, I'm going to work a good purpose for it. But what this word of God is saying with David's sickness is bones festering and all that, his wounds festering and all that, is what the word of God is trying to get through to us is that God uses a lot of ways to get our attention. And sickness is one of them. It could be one of them. Now, let me ask you, does God need to get your attention? If God needs to get your attention, if he's trying to get your attention and needs to get it, man, he, you know, he may allow or send sickness into your life. And I'm not saying that happens every time. But, you know, it's one of the ways God gets our attention. But if you're a believer in Christ Jesus, boy, this is a big point. If, this is a big deal. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to understand this. Nothing comes into your life that's not filtered through the hands of God first. Nothing comes into your life that God doesn't allow. I mean, you want to think, you know, this is coming to just, just out of nowhere. Listen, nothing comes into your life that God doesn't allow or say yes to. I'm going to let it into his life. Psalm 139.17, he's always thinking about us. There's nothing in your life God didn't say yes to. There's no detail of your life as a believer in Christ that God doesn't use to perfect you and make you more and more and more and more into his image. And sickness is just one of those ways. And for the true believer, we got to get our terms right here. That's called discipline. As you read this psalm, maybe you think David thinks God's punishing him, but there is a big difference between punishment and discipline. You got to know this. God, our Father, never, ever, ever, ever punishes his children who believe in his Son for salvation. I got to say that again. God, the Father in heaven, will never, ever, 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 ever punish you if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want to show you what punishment is. I'm just going to read, I'm going to read Revelation 6. Revelation 6, beginning in verse 12. This is where the world is winding up, man. The lamb, I'm not going to go into all the doctrine here, but the lamb is opening seven seals. And I watched the lamb, Jesus, open the sixth seal. And there was a great earthquake. Then the sun turned black like sackcloth, made of goat's hair. I mean, picture this in your mind. I mean, this is the end of the world stuff. The whole moon, I mean, you're looking at the moon. It says the whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth. The stars start falling as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The stars are falling out of the sky. The sky receded like a scroll, rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and every free man hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the mountains and the rocks and said, Fall on us and hide us, listen, from the face of him who sits on the throne, that's God the Father. Hide us from God the Father and hide us, look at this, from the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. For the great day of their wrath is coming. Who can stand that? That's punishment. That's not discipline. Punishment is always given in unbelief. But listen, folks, Christ is the way out of that. If you're here today, that still waits for you. And the only way out of that scenario is to come to the Father through his Son, Jesus Christ, and claim him as your Savior and plead forgiveness of your sins for, for Christ's sake who died for those sins. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, punishment is never going to happen to you. See, punishment is given in wrath, but discipline is given in what? Love. 
Discipline is always given in love. And if you're God's child by faith in Christ, man, you are, you, 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 you're going to be disciplined. But I want to look at Hebrews 12, 7. This explains it so good. So good. And this is how you look at it, man. It says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Look at that. Endure hardship as discipline, not, not punishment. God is treating you as sons. Verse, I'm going up to verse 6. Because the Lord disciplines those he what? Love, see? And, and look at verse 11, the result of discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the moment or at the time, but painful. That's true. Later, however, you see this? It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been what? Trained by it. Discipline is a loving father. Training, training, training his child. So listen, folks, get a hold of this. When you take hold of what's happening in your life, the struggles, the tough stuff, and understand God knows about all this. It had to pass through his hand before it came into your life, see? And he's using it in love as discipline to train and perfect you and shape you and mold you, and you're only going to be better for it. See, then you can do something that the rest of the world is never going to do. You're going to do something the rest of the world won't do. You can thank God for that. You know how that's going to set you apart? You can become a 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Christian. Let me read this to you. Let me read this. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It says, give thanks in all. I've got all circled. Give thanks in all, even the hardships, circumstances. And when you understand the Lord's loving discipline, and it's not punishment, and he's there, and he cares, and what he's trying to accomplish, you will say, thank you, Lord, for what I'm going through. You, listen, excuse me, you have reached, when you can do that, a level of faith that most people are not going to get to, ever. When, you know, the rest of the world, you're going through all this stuff. They would moan and groan and even curse. And you're saying, thank you, God, for whatever you're doing in my life. Thank you, God, for the disciplines. You're 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Christian. Look at verse 9 of Psalm 38. Let's go back to Psalm 38. Here's another thought on Psalm 38. Verse 9, I love this. This is precious to me because it tells me that God knows the deep longings of my heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. Cherish that. The God who gave his son, who gave his life, knows the deepest longings of your heart. Let me ask you, what are the deepest longings of your heart? Things you wish would happen. You know, I put myself in a teenage position, you know. Maybe they're saying, oh, Lord, I wish this lady. Or maybe, maybe they're not even saying, oh, Lord. They're just saying, my deep desire is this girl would pay some attention to me, that she'd notice me. Or a girl may say, I wish this boy, it's a longing of her heart, would pay some attention to me. Or maybe a wife is saying, I wish my husband would pay some attention to me. Or maybe a husband is saying, I wish my wife would pay some attention to me. Or maybe a kid saying, I wish my mom or dad would pay some attention to me. Or this person I care about, I'm always given, I wish they'd give a little bit to me and pay some attention to me and acknowledge it, see? Or maybe the longing of your heart is that the pain would go away. Or maybe the longing of your heart is that my loved one wouldn't suffer anymore. Or maybe the longing of your heart is this, I got this thing going, I got, I got this thing I want to do with my life. And I'm really good at this, and I know I can do it, and I know this could work. But right now, there's no ways, there's no open doors. What does the psalm say? Verse 9, take this seriously. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. He knows the longings of your heart. Now, here's where this is going. I'm not going to say that God is always going to give you or me the deep longings of our heart. But see, here's what, here's what I cherish about this. He knows. 
the deepest longings of my heart. And here's what else I know. God is, with a capital G, good. Now, just take those two facts and put them together. Number one, God knows the deep longings of your heart, right? Number two, he's good. And so whatever he does is cool. (laughs) All right. God's cool. He knows the deep longings of your heart, and he's good. And you know, whatever he does with those longings is good. I, I don't know how to apply that. I just say, I love to think about that. I've got this deep longing in my heart for some, something to come about. And God knows it, and he's going to work on it his way. Verse 12. David says, those who seek my life set their traps. So beside the physical problems, he's got this going on in his life. Absalom, his own son, those who seek my life set their traps. Absalom's trying to schmooze the kingdom away from David. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. Now, I like this in verse 12. This is the NIV translation. All day long, they plot deception. David had no rest. I mean, these guys just didn't plan against David and try and wrest his kingdom from him. And, you know, eight to five, that's their job. And they go home and relax a little bit with their family and come back and do the same thing next day. No, this is going on all day long. I mean, this is an all-day affair. This is 24-7. David had no rest from all their plots, see, all day long. Now, as I read this, there's a principle here that we need to deal with. Here's what I see in this word of God here. David had no control. He says in verse 12, those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long, they plot their deception. And and really what he's saying is there's not a thing in the world I can do about it. He has lost all control. That's what's going on here. See, as I read this word of God, here's what came through, and I, I pray this is from the Spirit. This is the principle of how to act when something in your life is out of your control. There is nothing you can do. There are snares. Maybe people are speaking about your ruin, treachery, your future is at stake. I'm not saying all this stuff has happened to you that happened to David. I'm just saying there are circumstances in your life you can't move, man. I mean, you can't, you can't do anything to control it. It's all out of your control. So what does David do? Ooh, I love this. Verse 13, he says, I'm like a deaf man who can't hear. Like a mute who can't open his mouth. He says, I'm going to be like a mute who doesn't talk. I become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. Oh, do I love that. I wait, look at, for you, O Lord, that's the key, verse 15. I wait for you, O Lord, you will answer, O Lord, personal, my God. So David says, I'm like a man who doesn't hear. People are coming to David with all these rumblings. Look what Absalom's doing, your kingdom's slipping from you. With all that bad news, and what does David say? I'm like a man who doesn't hear. Of course he hears. People like to bring bad news. David says, as much as possible, what he's saying is this, I'm going to take the attitude, it's happening. I'm like a guy who doesn't hear, who can't speak. He's saying, there is nothing I can do about it. That's what he says. Now, when you finally come to grips with that and say, this is real, this thing I have no control of, 
and there's nothing I can do about this, and you're dealing with that reality, man, that is a big step in the right direction. And David says, I'm going to be like a mute guy who opens not his mouth. I'm not going to plead with these people. I'm not going to go to them and say, oh, please, please don't do this. Please, please, please. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. He said, I'm not going to grovel like that. I'm going to shut my mouth. And I'm going to let God take this from me. Now look at verse 15. I, I, I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord, my God. And sometimes the best thing you can do is do what David tells us to do and say nothing. You just determine this is out of my control. You don't defend yourself. You don't react. You don't criticize. You shut your mouth and you talk to God. And you say, my, that's verse 15. My father and my Lord, you know all things. You see, you hear, you know what's going on. This is out of my control. You take this. Now, here's the big part. When you do that, you say, I accept what you and your wisdom allow to happen. If you allow this to happen, okay. If you choose to let it not happen, that's great too. But whatever you choose, if you choose to, to let me walk through this whole deal, and if I have to suffer for your name, or if you choose to take it away and get judgment on those guys, that's okay. That's okay. Whatever you decide, I'm okay with that, and I'm going to rejoice. That's what David's saying. And see, what you have just done is you have released that to God. I said this is kind of personal because in other ministries have gone through stuff like this. And you just, you just wonder where this whole deal is going. And you can't do a thing about it. You don't do a thing about it. And I have learned not to, not to retaliate, not to want vengeance, to just shut your mouth and leave it to God. And when you know he has it, there is a peace that takes over your life that allows you to go on with life. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.